If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. Inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along with me. Uh, this message is weighed really heavy on my heart. You're not going to get off the hook this morning as we start this sermon. It's one that um, if I could get out of preaching, I probably would on this message. Um, it's convicted me personally, and it's left my heart heavy, and it's got to be talked about, okay? In fact, as a church, we're going to go through the letter of Romans, and I've kind of promoted that Easter Sunday. Pastor Joey did a great job giving you some context last week. Uh, he dealt with the verses I was going to deal with, so I'm going to jump over what he talked about. We're going to get started with the letter, but this letter has influenced our culture at deep levels, philosophically and spiritually. Uh, and as a culture, as we move away from God's word as true, and as we move away from God's word as influential, what you're going to see here this morning is the penalty of a culture that moves away from that. We're going to see what a, what a people individually and corporately deserve in the presence of a holy God when we walk away from the truth of God. In fact, you live in a culture where there are three branches of government that have power to override the other branch because our founding fathers understood some truths that were birthed out of Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. That the human condition is basically evil is sinful, and therefore not one person should have central power, but even our government system has an understanding of what we're going to talk about here this morning. And my hope here this morning, and, it, and again, I'm going to have my foot on the gas from beginning to end, and it's going to be a tough one, and I'm not going to crack a whole lot of funny stories that I like to tell. We're going to be serious here this morning. In fact, the next couple weeks are going to be challenging for you. They're going to be challenging for me. And my hope is, is that as we look internally at our hearts and what God has said where the human race really is, that we will take the message of the gospel seriously. In fact, I've given this the overarching theme, the word gospel. Does anybody know what the word gospel means? What's it mean? It means good news, right? But in American culture, most churches that we go to, they preach the good news right out of the gate. And people don't have an understanding of why they even need good news. The good news needs to be contrasted against the bad news. And in this letter, the apostle Paul spends three chapters reminding us of where we really sit apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to be even more honest. I'm not going to leave you this morning with a whole lot of hope. That's coming in the next few weeks. You're going to leave here this morning with a heavy heart as you contemplate your own condition before a holy God. And it should frighten you a little bit. It should leave you a little bit uncomfortable. It's a tough couple weeks we're going through as a church. So let's open with prayer. God, I, I pray that the message that we look at here this morning... 
the letter to the church of Rome, that the Apostle Paul, that this letter has, has revolutionized and changed the world, God. I, I pray that this would convict us this morning, that there would be a somber sense of reality and conviction this morning. And I pray that the power of your spirit coupled by the power of your word would work our hearts over and God, you would, you would do the spiritual stuff that only you can do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you went to the doctor and you had cancer, and you had cancer, you went to this doctor, doctor says you have cancer. Not a single one of you in this room would stomp your feet and go, you know, doctor, I came here to be encouraged this morning, and you didn't encourage me with that news, right? Not a single one of you would go find another doctor that would tell you something different. None of you would go, well, I'm going to go find a doctor that tells me I don't have cancer, and so this morning, we're going to look at the human condition. You would go to the doctor if you had cancer say, not only do you want to know the truth, but you want to know the solution, right? And so this morning, we're going to talk about the truth from a biblical perspective. And church, I want to be clear this morning because the danger of this series, one of the reasons, honestly, I've avoided the book of Romans for the last few years is because you all are going to leave here and label me. <laughs> well, he's this or he's that. Some of you may even say, he's a Calvinist. You know, by the time we're all said and done, right? I didn't write the book, all right? I'm just the messenger. You know, we're going we're gonna to delve into Romans, and it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Here's a really cool thing, though. Some of you are in sermon-based small groups. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have some of the best discussions you've ever had in your small group. I had something really cool happen this morning. Somebody came up to me and said, listen, man, we were going to do something different in our small group, but after last night's message, we're going we're gonna to do sermon-based small groups. You're going to unpack some of the very mysteries of the Godhead. You're going to have some of the best discussions you've ever had as a group as you journey through this letter together. I want to let you know that we have a commentary out there for sale, okay? It's by Douglas Moo. Great commentary. For those of you who want to dig a little deeper in this fascinating, deep letter, it's a great opportunity to buy that. Last week, we sold it for $20. This week, we're selling it for 15 For those of you who want to go, ah, they, they lowered the price. I got that. That's because they lowered the price in the commentary since we bought the first set to the second set, okay? So don't throw no church division over five bucks, okay? Um, so there you go. It's $15 this week. It's for trying to give it to you at our cost. So for the next few weeks, man, we're going to unpack this letter. I would encourage many of you to do it, as many as you can, to do it in small groups. If you're not in a small group and you want to, we can still get you in one. Okay? It's going to be a great opportunity to talk about these things. But I've been studying this letter, and I have come to the conclusion. I've, been, I've had my nose in this letter for over a year now. And I've come to the conclusion that our culture is desperate for the truth of this letter. We're, the church is desperate for the truth of this letter. We need to reclaim the truth of God so that we can know the freedom of the gospel. And until we know the truth of this letter, we will not know the freedom of the gospel. The problem is that the church has painted a small, insignificant, little picture of sin, and therefore we've got a small, little Savior we got a, church, a bunch of church people that want to tack Jesus onto their life as if that's everything. And until you know the human condition, you'll never understand what a big Savior you need. And that's where we're going over the next couple weeks. And so with that, let's dive in. The first thing Paul tells us, the human condition, is that we naturally suppress the truth. We don't want the truth. Truth is not natural to us. How many of you in raising your children had to teach them to tell a lie? 
You never have to teach them that. Why? It's natural. We suppress the truth. We don't want the truth. And as we get older, it just gets uglier. And we get more set in our ways. Paul says in Romans 1.18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinfulness. Wicked people who do what? What do they do? They suppress the what? Truth. By the way, if it's ever found out that the word of God is a lie, you should go believe something else. Okay? Our goal in humanity is to build our lives on the truth. Even the Bible says the truth will do what? It will set you what? Free. Anybody's ever wrestled with an addiction and overcome it? What's the first part to getting better? Acknowledging what it is, right? Truth will set you free. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness, we naturally do this. We naturally run from the truth. We want to be proven right. We want to do things our way. We want to be left alone to figure it out on our own. We live in a culture where people say, man, this is what I believe. Which I always ask the deeper question, it really doesn't matter what you believe, what matters is what is true. If you go to the doctor and you find out you have cancer, you go, well, I believe I don't have cancer. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what is true. We don't want the truth. We don't want the truth about who we are. We don't want the truth about where we stand before God. We don't want the truth about who the, the real God really is. Jesus taught this in John chapter 3. He said, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved what? What they love? The darkness more than the light. Why? Because their actions were evil. Verse 20, and all who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it, for they fear their sins will be what? Exposed. The Bible says we're sinners. We're born into sin. We're born that way, and we want our sin to be all in the darkness. I want anybody to know about it. We don't want to confess our sin. We don't want to bring it to light. We suppress the truth of God. Paul gets even more specific. Not only do we suppress the truth, but we suppress the truth about the God who really is. Romans 1.19. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. They can see his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. A couple points here that the Apostle Paul makes. Number one, we can see clearly there's a creator. It's obvious. Clearly there's a creator. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens proclaim, proclaim the glory of God, and the skies, they display his craftsmanship. And to our detriment, many of us, we haven't even slowed down long enough to observe creation and understand that there is a God who created this. The fact is, we live in a world that has more information about our creation than any generations of the past. And in fact, the more that... I read and science discovers the more I am awed by our creator. Yet we live in a, in a generation and a culture that seems to distance ourselves from the creator God. We as a part of any generation that's ever been on planet Earth have less excuse to be awed by our creator. 
I want to read you a couple simple facts about, just random facts about our creation, okay? I've done this before, and I have piles of these in my illustration database. I just want to read you some things I hope that will catch you and go, what? The U.S. Natural Museum has determined that there are at least 10 million species of insects on planet Earth including some 2,500 varieties of ants. There are about 5 billion birds in the United States, of which half live in Pocosin and poop on my car. (laughs) Among which, some species are able to fly 500 miles nonstop across the Gulf of Mexico. The mallard duck can fly at 60 miles an hour. There are some eagles that can fly over 100 miles an hour. And there are some species of falcons that can dive at speeds of 180 miles an hour. We have an awesome creator, God. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 6 septillion 588 sextillion tons, and it hangs unsupported in space. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision and careens through space around the sun at the speed of 1,000 miles per minute in an orbit of 580 million miles long. That's your little planet that you drove here on this morning. As far as comets go in our own solar system, most comets in our solar system range from somewhere between 10,000 and 1 million miles long. The average comet in our solar system has a tail that is 100 million miles long, and they travel at the speed of 350 miles per second. If the average comet's radiated energy could be converted into horsepower, it would be the equivalent of 500 million million billion horsepower. Each second, a comet that goes across our universe consumes 4 million tons of matter. And traveling at the speed of light across our Milky Way, a comet takes about 125 thousand years at the speed of light to go across our Milky Way. And our galaxy is but one of millions. It's just a couple random facts about creation. You know, whether you look big as far as galaxies or whether you drill down small into the subcellular level of humanity, whether it's big or small, we should be awed by the complexity and the awesomeness of our creator. We should be awed by the precision of life on this planet. And because of that, the Bible is clear. When you really give a serious look at creation, you have no excuse but to understand there is intelligent design. There's a God who made all this. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that creation is clear. There's a creator. Second thing Paul says that creation reveals is it reveals two things about God. It reveals his power and it reveals his divine nature. 
An honest glimpse of creation reveals God's power. And it reveals that, that, that he's divine, that it's just supernatural. The Latin word for what God did in Genesis, it's ex nihilo. God created out of nothing. He didn't have dirt to begin with. He spoke and it was there. My joke is I have no problem with the Big Bang Theory. God spoke, bang, it happened. Okay, that's how it works. He's divine. He's powerful. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible defend the existence of God? Nowhere. There's no, there's no passage I can turn to that says, here's the passage we look at that defends the existence of God. Why? Because creation screams, it's obvious that there's a creator. And I'm going to say something very bold here this morning. And you, you, some of you may push back against this. One would have to willfully close their minds to the magnificence of creation to deny the existence of God. I want you to hear that again. One would have to willfully close their minds to the magnificence of creation to deny the existence of God. We worship and serve a God that is powerful and he's divine and he does things that can't be explained. And so Paul says the human race will one day stand before God without excuse when they stand there. Without excuse. Every single one of you in this room, myself included, will stand before God without any excuses for knowing him. Now, the big theology word for this is general revelation. I wish I'd put this in your notes. Okay, you can write that down, general revelation. The idea here that Paul's unpacking is general revelation is enough to condemn us before a holy God, but it is not enough to have us have salvation. We need specific revelation for that or special revelation for that. And that's what the rest of this letter is about. But Paul says, all of humanity will stand condemned before God because they have willfully chosen to ignore God's marvelous creation. And one day, if you don't know his, his saving grace and you don't know his plan of salvation, which is his son, Jesus Christ, you will stand before God with your ignorant and your arrogant excuses before the God of the universe. I hope some of you are a little bit uncomfortable right now. Because that's the letter that Paul says. That's how we begin. The second thing Paul reminds us is we're made to worship God. Every single one of you in this room is a worshiper of something, meaning your heart is fully engaged. You have hopes and dreams. You adjust your life. You know what gets you out of bed in the morning? It's not your alarm clock. The alarm clock is a symptom to what your heart is pursuing. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Because you worship something, your heart is engaged with something. One of my favorite authors and one of my favorite life-altering books, John Piper reminds me that our greatest pleasure and our greatest fulfillment in life comes when we focus our life, we focus our attention, we focus our heart, we focus our obedience on God, his character, his ways, and his truth. 
If we worship or engage our hearts with anything else, it will leave you in bondage. It will leave you wanting. Any other thing you choose to pursue will leave your life and your heart coming up short. The psalmist says, asks himself his own question, why so downcast, O my soul? What's his answer to himself? Anybody know? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Because if your heart is engaged with anything else, man, you will battle depression. You'll battle this. You'll battle that. And I'm not saying we never have a melancholy spirit, but I am saying this. When you put your hope in God, it does something different. Your heart's engaged with the God who is. However, Paul says, because we're born into sin, we ignore God's truth. and We ignore worship of him. And so Romans chapter 121 says this. Yes, they knew God. They didn't worship him as God or give, give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and their minds became what? What's it say? Confused. A.W. Tozer, a famous uh, mid-1900s preacher, um, Joey actually referenced him last week. Pastor Joey referenced him last week, said this. He said, idolatry, idolatry is false worship. Idolatry begins in the mind when we pervert or exchange the idea of God for something other than what he really is. It's what false worship is. It's when you fashion the God that you want rather than the God who is. In fact, the rest of this sermon, I'm going to be referring to the God that we worship as the God who is. And the Bible, Bible says, Paul says, when we worship the God we want, our minds become clouded. We have clouded minds. I want to tell you something, church. If you want clear thinking in all fields, engineering, mathematics, medicine, psychology, on and on the list goes. It begins with a mind that is set on the things of God and worshiping the God who is. But Paul says, when we make up the God we want, man, our minds become clouded. We, we become confused. We become morally askew. We become morally unsure. I watched this last political season as politician after politician after politician got up and built a political platform on the things that God calls sin. And the American people go... Why? Because we are so morally confused. We have no idea what's right and wrong. And the Bible's clear, man. It's not up to us to decide what is right or wrong. It is the God who is, who alone has that right to establish what is righteousness and what is holy and what is sin and what is wickedness. And then Paul goes on to say, a person with a clouded mind this is the biblical definition of a fool. Ready? Biblical definition of a fool. Romans 1.22. Claiming to be wise. <laughs> they became other fools. You know what's interesting? You, you put a Bible-believing theologian or Christian on CNN, and what is that person painted to be? They're painted to be a fool. Painted to be an idiot. The Bible says just the opposite. See, church, we're at a crossroads in our culture. The crossroads is what are we going to believe? What are we going to build our lives on? And I get up here week in and week out, and I love to tell the funny stories, and I love to encourage, you know, and all that stuff. But we, this is the real deal this morning, right? What are we going to build our lives on? What are we going to accept as true or untrue? 
We got to stop playing games in our culture. Verse 23 says, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere, peop- like, like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Some of you are like, I don't have any idols in my house. No? Man, how many of you are stuck worshiping the human body on your computer? Your whole day is surrounded by how I can get in front of this computer screen without anybody else knowing. How many of you are, are giving your life To make money so that you can pay for the thing parked in your garage. The thing made by the hands of man. How many of you get up every day, man, I can't wait to reach this dream of owning this thing that's created rather than the creator. We're worshiping something. And so some of the scariest words in the Bible are the next words that Apostle Paul says, the words God abandoned. These are some of the scariest words in the Bible. God abandoned. What I want you to notice over the next couple of verses is how God abandoned the human race to do and to think how they want. It's both and. To do and to think. Romans 1.24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Why? Verse 25. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Paul says, you turn them over. God abandoned them. Think and do as you please. Now, before I get to my final point, can you believe I'm already on my final point this morning? You're not getting there that fast, okay? <clears throat> Before I get to my final point, though, I want to look at a couple verses of what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says. This is what it looks like when God turns us over to our own thinking, our own judgment. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we do things our own way, okay? Now, before we do this, all right, before we go to the next verse, next slide, there's one in here for each of you, minimum, You're going to see what sin and evil and disobedience and wickedness looks like in the heart of humanity. And it covers all of us. You're going to see murder next to talking back. Okay? Romans 1.26 says this. Here it is again. They didn't worship God, so that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things for, uh, with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the due penalty that they deserved. Now, I'm going to pause here for a minute. Paul here is talking about homosexuality. Is there a hotter topic in our culture right now? You literally cannot turn on the TV without seeing this topic discussed. So I'm going to pause here. I'm going to give it a few moments. And I, I do it with fear and trembling because I know that my sermons go online and I have no idea what happens after I leave here. Right? Before I unpack this, I want to be clear about a couple things. All right? I believe this is a unique book. Genesis to Revelation is a unique book. I believe that it's true when interpreted rightly as the author intended. 
Pastor Joey hit on that last week. I don't make any excuses for it. I don't have to. I'm a messenger. You can shoot the messenger if you want, but I'm just a messenger of what I believe this Bible, what this book teaches is true. Secondly, before I address this couple verses, I'm not homophobic. Don't label me with that, okay? Number three, I don't hate. I don't hate. We're, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are never to hate. What did Jesus teach us about how to have rebellion? You rebel by loving and self-sacrifice. That's how you rebel. If you want to be rebellious in your marriage, die to yourself, serve your spouse, okay? In fact, as we read on in this passage, there's going to be a whole bunch of sin that's discussed that includes Sean Brown's sins, okay? And as a church, we're never to be hateful. The church is a hospital for people that want to find freedom of, in the truth and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are on your journey, you're welcome here to hear the truth of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. Church, is that clear? Okay. Now, a couple pastoral thoughts. The Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin. And we can't soft pedal or back pedal that. And in our culture, it's quickly being related to other things, but morally speaking in the scriptures, it's a sin. The second thing about this passage is I believe it's often wrongly pointed to by leaders in the church to say, well, God is punishing this nation because of this sin. Well, that hurricane hit or that tornado hit or whatever. Think that's wrong. In fact, this letter was written in a culture where same sex relationships were common, accepted, and visible. Sound like a culture you live in? Okay. I read something this week, I did a little snooping around. Did you know that statistics say that in our culture, 3.8% of Americans say they're gay or lesbian? 3.8%. How many of you, well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm sure many of you would have said, I thought the number was a lot higher, all right, by what I see on TV. But my point is that as it's visible and as it's common, as accepted in our culture, this letter was written in the same kind of environment. And what I think Paul is saying here is that this is not the sin. All right, I want to hear that again. This is not the sin for which God does whatever we think God does. But rather, this is a cultural result of abandoning the worship and the truth of God. And when a people strays from that, even something as basic and natural as sex and sexuality becomes clouded and confused in the human mind. Does that make sense? And in the human behavior. That's what I believe Paul's talking about. Second thing is, another pastoral thought, I'm not inclined to preach to them out there. It's not who I'm inclined to preach to. I'm inclined to preach to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's, what my, that's always my target audience when I preach. And church, I got to be honest with you. When it comes to sexual sin and sexual perversion, and by the way, what does the word sin mean? What's the word sin mean? Anybody know? Sin means literally to miss the mark. It's an archery term. 
to miss the mark, when an archer misses the bullseye. What's the bullseye? The bullseye, spiritually and morally speaking, before a holy God is perfection. And so God defines for us what is right and wrong in many, many behaviors and in many, many thinking in our thought processes. And church, the problem I have with many church folks is we want to throw the stones at one sin without having our own home in order. Does that make sense? Our homes aren't in order, church. And sexual perversion is to miss the mark of God's holiness. And by the way, did you know that God designed sex and sex is a really good thing? And if you were to read Romans, I mean, 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul lets us know that not only are we to have sex, we're to have a lot of it. That's pretty good news. In the confines and the bonds of marriage. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that you husbands and wives got to stop depriving one another of this. I'll bet you our nursery fills up in about 40 to 45 weeks. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm thinking. But the Bible's really clear. The Bible's really clear that it is a sexual perversion when we have sex before marriage. It's a sexual perversion. The Bible's really, really clear that it's a sexual perversion when we have sex outside of marriage and a thing called affairs. It's a sexual perversion when we engage in sexual pleasure through pornography. It's a sexual perversion, men, when we haul our kids into the car and say, hey, let's go over to Hooters and let's get some good wings. You know, statistics say that Americans say 90% of Americans believe in God, to which I want to scream out, what God? The God of your making or the God who is? Because if we believe in the God who is, Hooters would be out of business because you're indulging the flesh when you go there. And I don't usually get this specific in my application of the word, but guys, I'm passionate about the God who is. And we've strayed as a culture and as even church people. Church people, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian man or a Christian woman, I want to tell you something. The flirtatiousness at work with another person of the opposite sex needs to stop today or you're not worshiping the God who is. You're worshiping the God you made him up to be. I read a statistic this week that said 75% of the American people would have an affair if they knew they could get away with it. This is in the same study that says 90% of those people believe in God. Which God? The God you want or the God who is? Church, we need to clean up our house. We need to pursue holiness and righteousness and justice. Paul goes on to say that when we don't worship the God who is, verse 28 says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin. I love this next one. By the way, if you wanted me to point to the sin for which God may condemn our country, it's this one, actually. It's greed. It's greed. We're so materialistic. Do you know studies say? That people that are followers of Jesus, people say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, evangelical, if you will, Christian, Christians, less than 3% actually give a tithe to their local church, a tenth. I got to tithe this past Friday. I tithe on the internet. I 
I give electronically. And before I press sin, I said, God, I just want you to know as I press sin, I want you to know this money does not have a hold on my heart. That's what my tithe is. I don't trust in money to provide for me and my family. That's hard to do. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what has your heart? Is it your checkbook? One of the ways I make sure I shoot the greed monster right between the eyes, I tithe every time I get paid. And to make sure I'm doubly sure of that, I make sure I tithe on gross, not net. I'm not saying that's a right or wrong. I'm just making sure. It's a heart check for me. Paul says, man, when you don't worship the God who is, man, you, your life is full of wickedness and sin and greed Hate, envy, murder. Some of you are about to go, I didn't do that. Next one's quarreling. You know what quarreling is? Just stirring up trouble. Just not shutting your mouth about something. That happens in church life. Did you know that? That leadership made a decision. You go out. I always like the meeting after the meeting. Meeting after the meeting happens out there. Bible says that happens when you worship the God you want. Rather than God who is. You want to know why that is, by the way? Romans 13, Paul goes on to say, you honor the authorities. It's not on your handout. You honor the authorities over you. You want to know why? God put them there. Kim Jong-il is in power because God put him there. President Barack Obama is in power because God put him there. The pastor over this church is there because God put him there. When God's done with them, God will remove them. Is that clear? And we submit ourselves to the authorities over us. And deception, and malicious behavior, and gossip. And they're backstabbers, and they're haters of God, and they're insolent, and they're proud, and they're boastful. <laughs> you just described me, man. I can get really proud really quick. They invent new ways of sinning. I love this next part because I have teenagers, and they disobey their parents. Isn't that an interesting addition, by the way? Out of all these, they're like, oh, those are really bad. When we don't worship and serve the God who is, we disobey our parents. You know why that is? We forget that God put them there. There's authority, young people, over us. They refuse to understand and break, break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. This is what happens when we disobey the God who is, and we don't honor his truth. Now, here's my final point. Paul says the human condition of being born into sin leaves us in a very serious condition before a holy God. And so he says this. He says, in our hearts, we know, we know, we know. And what do we all know? This is it. Paul says, Romans one thirty-two. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. We know that one day we will give an account before the God of the universe. That's what Paul says. We know it in our hearts. The 75% of Americans think they'd have an affair if they could get away with it. will not get away with it. They will stand before God and give an answer to their thinking and their doing. Paul says in later, and we're going to investigate this later, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Right? The Bible talks about two kinds of death. There's physical death. We all know that. We don't get out of the single line, but there's also spiritual death. There's internal separation from the God of the universe. Paul goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, many years ago, I preached a sermon called Big Butts in the Bible. Kind of funny. Anyway, um, 
And I was talking about the little conjunction, but. This is one of the big buts I preached on. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the good news doesn't look quite as good until you really spend some time contemplating the bad news. I didn't let you off the hook this morning. I'm not going to let you off the hook next week, okay? My fear is some of you are going to leave here this week and go, man, this is not the church for me. I hope you'll reconsider because we have to spend a few weeks considering the human condition. We have to consider that one day every single one of us will stand before the God of the universe and give an account of our soul. I have a, I read a, a book of a, written by an athlete, a guy by the name of Bobby Bonner, and he was a Oriole, Baltimore Oriole, I'm a big Oriole fan. He didn't play very much, most of you wouldn't know who he is, but uh, in his book he said that there was a guy on the Orioles whose name was Pat Kelly. Pat Kelly was a well-known follower of Christ. You'd have to be a serious old Oriole fan to remember Pat Kelly, okay? Uh, but Pat Kelly, in this book uh, that Bobby wrote, he tells the story. One time, Pat Kelly, on a flight back to, to a game, he went to Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver's one of the most famous managers in Ori- Baltimore history. Baltimoreans love Earl Weaver, okay? Pat Kelly went up to Earl Weaver, and he called him Skipper. That's a lot of, for those of you who don't play baseball, a lot of times that's old schoolers, that's the term. So he went up to Earl Weaver. Pat Kelly went up to Earl Weaver and said, Hey, Skip, I sure wish you would walk with the Lord. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, that's a kind of an old school term. It means I wish you knew Jesus Christ. I wish you had a daily relationship with the God of the universe, his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, Skip, I wish you'd walk with the Lord. Earl Weaver looked up at him and said, Pat, I wish you'd walk with the bases loaded. <laughs> Only baseball people get it, but it's funny. <clears throat> so. On January 19th, 2013, Earl Weaver was on a cruise, a sports-sponsored cruise. He died of a heart attack three months ago. And the only thing that mattered at that moment is if Earl Weaver walked with the Lord. It's the only thing that mattered. World Series appearances, finances, World Series rings, the cruise, the hope, none of it mattered. The only thing that mattered is if Earl Weaver was walking with the Lord. I want to finish this morning by asking a question. Are you worshiping the God you want? Are you worshiping the God of your making? Or are you worshiping the God who is? Because the God who is is not going to go lightly on sin. It's not. God who is is not going to allow sin in his presence. He can't. The God who is is a just God. And sin will be recompensed and paid for. And every man will be weighed according to God's standards. Not ours. Not based on what we think. It's not on what we feel, and it's not on what culture has told us. We will be measured by His standards. And apart from the rest of this letter, the good news, some of you are going to stand there hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It's a pretty frightening place to be. I hope that you're found clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, granted by grace.
through faith. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm going to leave us with this heavy moment this morning. I want to leave us feeling the weight of this message. I want to leave us feeling the weight of Romans 1, God. God, I pray that we would be a people that worship not the God we want, rather the God who is. God, I pray for a church that would be sick and tired of its sin, God, and would say, you know what, that's not the God who is, that's not his way, that's not righteousness. We'd be a a church that repents. Says we're going to take sin as seriously as our God does. We're going to worship the God who is. And we worship the God who is in the name of the only one who even allows us into his presence, God's son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to assure you we're not after your money, so don't feel any obligation to give. But this is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal. If you'd like to join us tonight, you're certainly welcome to. God's challenge you, spoken to your heart, man. We would, and that tear off on that bulletin is a great way to communicate with us. And, and uh, we're going to close this morning by singing uh, worship, a song of worship uh, to the God who is. Joey.
Child down 